The following message is a sermon preached by author and writer Matthew Pope titled, To Give You the Kingdom, delivered at Mount Hope Church in Salisbury, North Carolina, in two distinct services. This Sunday morning topic focuses on Luke 12, 32-59. Now available for listeners on Land of Ancient First, may the Word of God draw nigh and the Spirit of Christ be near, and may you receive both with open ears. Amen. And here is Matthew Pope. If you have your Bibles, I will be in Luke chapter 12, the book of Luke chapter 12, verses 32 through 59. And beginning in verse 32, the word says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may be open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants, whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour, when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler of all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I, if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how I am straight until it be accomplished. Suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And he said also to the people, When you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Ye, and why even of yourselves, judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art on the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last might. Let us pray. Father God, you give good graces. You give good mercies, Lord. I pray that you would speak 
to these listeners, Father, about your word and of your word, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that the Logos you are, Lord, the incarnate word you would give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him. May you move in our hearts with the same spirit to discern your word rightly and to understand completely and correctly, Father. You are good, Lord. We love thee. We thank thee, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would do a great work through this message. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 12 is an interesting passage. It contains many of verses itself with 59 total. And in the first half, I had the opportunity to preach at Mount Bethel Church in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. And in doing so, I had the ability to minister to Christians concerning the current time that they were living in. And that is through a time of pandemic, uncertainty, and complete confusion. A distortion of what we believe to be true and a distortion of what was happening around us with riots and burning and looting and churches shuttered and closing and all these things that were taking place at once. It was something for us to be concerned about as Christians. Some of us couldn't worship. Some of us weren't able to go to our local parish or church and actually find a seat they were ripped off. Some were hoping to get the elements, sacraments dispensed to them, and they couldn't. They were hoping to have sacramentals adorning themselves. They were unable to. As I speak in the second part of this chapter, of the 12th chapter of Luke, what comes to mind is Christ has built in the beginning an idea of coming to a place of true faith over fear. Understanding that Christ has called us all, we will have to make the call ourselves before others. A public witness we will have to give. And we will have to stand before those that judge us, stand before those that have authority over us, stand before those that want to condemn us. And we'll have to say in our heart and with our tongue what the Holy Spirit gives us truly, but we'll have to make a decision for Christ at that moment. All that we have done before then will come to a pinnacle in that moment. So in Luke 12, in today's message, I titled this to give you the kingdom, because this is the reward of the church, the kingdom. That is the reward of faith for every individual Christian and for the body of Christ in totality. The kingdom is the end of all that we've worked and hoped for, because in the kingdom is not just an empty palace or empty throne, but is seated Christ the King, whom we desire to reign with for eternity. So there's six segments here in this passage. And as I've gone through, I've designated them by verse, couplets of verses and groups, to distinguish each segment. In the beginning, and as he's with the twelve here during his ministry, we suppose that this is pre-baptism because he speaks of a baptism that's coming because Luke is behind Matthew. Um, Luke has the birth narrative um, in an extensive form as regards or in regards to Matthew having a shorter one. So Luke is behind here in the timeline of the ministry, but Christ is about to begin his ministry in, in full. And so he's chosen his 12 and he's speaking to them and he's commissioning them. And so in the beginning, in verses Luke 12, 33 through 34, when he says, sell what you have and give alms, provide yourselves bag, bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches or moth corrupts, because where your treasure is, 
that's where your heart will be. So I titled that, Where Does Your Heart Lie? Where does it lie? Is it in Christ? Is it where it should be with the Lord? Is it resting in His promises? Are you making decisions based on emotion or selfishness? Or are you making decisions based on Christ being the answer to it all? Promises made, promises kept, because that's what God has done in His Word. And so before we begin, this is essentially conversion. Before we begin a Christian life, the heart has to be within the sacred heart of Jesus. It has to be within the Christ likeness. And it has to be implanted into us, a new heart that He gives us. Not one of stone, but one of flesh. So this is the idea. This is the beginning, the premise, if you will, to the Christian life. Where does your heart lie? Is your heart invested in Jesus? Does it love Jesus? Does it want to serve Him? Does it long for Him? And that's the question He's going to propose to the disciples. Now, this is before the Holy Spirit's been given, before they've received it, breathed through Christ's nostrils into theirs. So they are battling with human emotions and the weight of humanity itself, trying to decide and make decisions within that. It's very challenging. But Christ is issuing a challenge, and He wants to get you out of your comfort zone. He wants you to not be comfortable in your Christianity. He wants you to be sincere, honest, and truthful. So where does your heart lie? He's going to move into the second transition, or second segment, as I like to refer to them as. And that's going to be Luke 12, 35 through 40. And it says, Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. You yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. When he returns from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, that he may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and finds them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes in an hour when ye think not. Be ready. I titled the second segment, Blessed are you to be servants, because this is the concentration of Christ. Jesus is asking us to be servants to have servanthood, to serve one another in the church, in the community, in our families, in our friendships, our colleagues. Wherever we're called, we are called to serve. Jesus was the suffering servant. He came to serve. Even as God incarnate and God in flesh, he still came to be a servant underneath man. And so he's hoping that when he returns, that's what he'll find. True servants in the Christian church, true servants in Christianity. True servants that want to serve out of love and respect and virtue and charity. Not self-serving, not presumptuous, but true servants. So first we have, where does our heart lie? Is our heart in Christ? Is our heart invested in Jesus? Is that where we've firmly planted it? And then two, blessed are those that are servants. Blessed are you to be servants. So it's not enough just to begin. We have to continue. Continuing in the apostles' doctrine and the passing down and the breaking of bread and prayers and continuing in that which is apostolic. You've begun by putting your heart in Jesus firstly. And then secondly, you've become a servant. Now it's time to serve. And we have to be watchful. We have to be ready. So he speaks of his second coming, his perusia, if you will, in such a way that he's saying you need to be ready. 
looking out the door, looking out the window, ready. And as a servant's looking for his Lord, he's longing for that Lord to come. He's longing because that relationship is so just and and so close and tight-knit. The Lord gives the servant the orders. The servant takes the orders and does them. It's his duty. It's his pleasure. And it is Father's. It is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom in return. So we move on to Luke 12, 41 through 44, which says, Then Peter says unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable to us or even to all? And the Lord says, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler of his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. All that he has. All that Christ has given us is the kingdom. That's what he's given us, and that's all he has, is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we make this distinction because the kingdom of God is that one, the kingdom of God is what's in our midst now, is that one, the church, the bride, that's the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of heaven is what's to come, and that's what he wants to give us. We make that distinction clearly, because the kingdom of God is here in our midst. We have it now. We are a part of that. But we are repenting because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is what's to come. So all Christians are servant called. That's the third segment here. All Christians are servant called. Peter is questioning that and saying, well, I'm the chief disciple. I'm the one that's going forth from the twelve. Is it just to us that you're saying these words or is it to everyone? Is it to all of us? Well, it started with the twelve because they were the commissioned ones to go, the apostles distinctly commissioned to go forth. And the church was established by them. But afterwards, it has come down to us. There has been the secession, the secession of prophets and pastors and ministers, and it's come to us now. Now we're the church. Now we're the ones that go out. So now it's applied to us. Jesus' blood wasn't just applied to the disciples, but they first saw him die. But in the tradition of the elders, they passed it down to us. Now we know of the blood that's been applied, the atonement that's been made sure. So now it's applied to us, and we go out, and we convert, and it's applied to those that we run into. The lost. Those that need to be saved. So all Christians are servant called. We have to remember that. Because Christ has called us individually and corporately. That's why we make public testimony of ourselves when we become saved. When we come to Christ, we make a decision. But as a body, we'll be accountable. In Revelation, the church, to the angel of this church, and to that one, those churches were held accountable, even though they were made up by individual members, the body. Carrying on to the fourth segment, Luke 12, 45 through 48, which says, But and if that servant says in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to beat the men, servants, and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him, and not an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. That's a personal favorite verse of mine, because Christ has given us everything that's himself, so he expects that total trade. You've been given a talent. We've each been given a gift. 
in some way or manner of some form. We are to serve Jesus with those gifts and talents. So he expects, there's an expectation there to give that back, to serve him completely with what you have and with what you give. And he accepts those things. But they have to be in Jesus' name. They have to be aligned with his body, with his Christ, with his church, with his Christianity. Otherwise, it is a waste. Otherwise, it is vanity. So those that did not know, that's ignorance. And the ignorant have their punishment. But those that knew, that knew better and did nothing instead, they'll be, there will be a double damnation for that. Judas, for instance, knew what he was doing. He was with the Commission 12. He was in the apostolic circle, if you will. And yet he knew what he was doing and stole on purpose and betrayed Jesus on purpose. So the damnation is there. The double condemnation is there. We have to understand we have a purpose to fulfill. we all been given a call. There will all come a day when decision will have to be made. You will have to come into contact with the person of Jesus Christ. And you either accept him or reject him. And from then on, that choice will affect every other choice you have. There's no escape from that. And that leads into the next segment. Which says, and I titled it, Choice of Christ Affects Outcome. And this is true. The cross is an offense. St. Paul says, It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. The Jews didn't believe in resurrection. The Greeks were logicians and couldn't understand how resurrection of man can happen. They didn't understand that Christ was God. And how can God be man and one and the same? To them, it made no sense. But we know man and his wisdom is foolishness to God. God's wisdom man cannot comprehend. That's why we ask for it liberally, as St. James says. But in this segment, the verses are Luke 12, 49 through 53, which says, I am come to some fire on the earth, and what will I if it already be kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how I'm straightened till it be accomplished. Suppose you that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you no, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Division. At Christmas, we always say peace on earth. We think of Christ as Prince of Peace. But we have to understand, he comes with a sword. And the sword of the word is offensive. It cuts. It separates. It isolates. I think of Islam. And when those that are deep within that tradition and faith break apart and choose to become Christian and convert to Christianity, they're murdered, executed, ostracized, abandoned, shunned, disowned, kicked out, whatever you'd like to call it. They're rejected ultimately because those that have been reared in that tradition consider Islam the greatest faith, the purest substance of faith. And we in Christianity know this is the true faith of God and that Christ is true, not just a prophet or man, but God. God Emmanuel, God with us. His presence always contained both bodily and spiritually with us. But this isn't a convert-or-die religion. But we understand how offensive it still is. When someone becomes a Christ follower in their family, a lot of families consider that Bible-thumping. You're a holy roller. You're preaching to me. You're doing too much that's spiritual. You're doing too much that offends me. I don't want it near me. I don't want to be bothered by it. Turn it off. Take it away. 
even in the Be Transformed youth group. You can have children and kids that don't want to be associated with true Christians. They come for games, they come for snacks or parties, but they don't come to hear the word. And when the word is preached, they turn it off, they shut it off, they close themselves down. And when another proselytizes towards them, they refuse them. This is the world and the gospel colliding. This is what happens, and it happens in our families, it happens in our homes, it even happens in our churches. Finally, the last segment, discern correctly and live. Discern correctly and live. Luke 12, 54 through 59, rounding out the chapter, it says, And he said also to the people, When you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say there cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be heat, and it comes to pass. You hypocrites! You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Ye, and why even of yourselves judge you not what is right, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, and you're in the way. Give diligence that you may be delivered from him. Lest he holds you to the judge, and the judge will you to the officer, and the officer cast you into prison. I tell you, you will not depart until you've paid the very last mite or cent. There will come a day when you'll have to pay. Justification. That's our death. Christ's death is penal substitution. He died in our place. He paid the debt. The sin debt that we had towards God, he paid it in full. But death is still a curse. And we're still in original sin, even though we've been forgiven and translated into the kingdom. And that's the goal of this whole passage and this whole sermon. But there's still a payment. And it may be our lives that we'll have to pay for. When persecution comes and eventually it will come to this church, even in America, even in North Carolina, even at Mount Hope Church, it will come. And we'll have to accept it. And we'll have to draw blood and draw weapons. And we'll have to beg and plead or, or face it with confidence and take the hit and surrender. And if we surrender at all, then we won't mind surrendering one last time in this flesh. And the weather illustration here is so cunning because Christ is, is an, an ingenious person because he's God Almighty. And he speaks such a truth when he speaks of weather. I know locally and throughout we have meteorologists that always predict the weather. And there's a difference between prediction and prophecy. And this is what you'll see come to the surface in the Gospels and the Bible over and over. But prediction and prophecy are two totally different things. But meteorologists predict the weather. They predicted if it would be sunny tomorrow, partly cloudy, chance of rain 30%, possible chance of snow 10% with 2-inch accumulation. The dew point is this, the humidity is this. And those are things that are subject to change because it's a prediction. Weather changes constantly. Man changes constantly. So those things intersect, and a lot of times they're not always what you thought they were the following day. And you grow disappointed. But each of us believes that we can predict the weather ourselves because we see it on the news report, and we see it in the sky, and we look at signals and farming habits and routines, and we look to one another and say, that looks like this, and that must be that when it comes. But Christ is saying how hypocritical you are because... You can do that with weather, but you can't understand that Jesus is coming back. You can't understand that the signs of the times are the, the closing up of the scroll of the earth. You just can't understand that, but you can certainly understand the weather. Hypocrites. God knows better than to believe that. And we should too. 
when the Bible's predictions that are prophetic are coming true, they're not predictions any longer. It's prophecy. And only prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the true reflection of God. It only returns truth back to us in favor of Christ and nothing else. It can't be contrary to the Spirit of God. It can't be contrary to God Himself. So the things that the Bible predicts and the things that the Bible says are true and they're coming to pass. And when those signs and wonders are done in the heavens and the earth and we see them, then we must affirm that Christ is coming back soon. So what do we do? We ready ourselves and we keep watch. We long for the Savior because our heart loves Him and we're serving called as all Christians are. And we're taking advantage of the Lord by not being ready. When we should be taking advantage of time instead of the Lord. Take advantage of time and not the Lord. That's a segment I believe I missed and I wanted to return to it because it's so essential. And the time is drawing near. And we, the Bible speaks of that. Here comes the hour, the closing of the age. Woman, it's not my hour yet. Even until the end of the world. All the things are time sensitive because Christ is coming back and the time is running out. Time is short, says the Bible, about the devil's work. That's why he's busy about causing mayhem and mischief. And time is ticking now. So have you made a decision for Christ? Do you know Jesus? Do you love him? Would you like to love him? Would you like to know him? You can. It's very simple. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I confess my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. I want to be yours forever. I want to serve and love you. I want to receive you now. I want to be in your kingdom, your servant. I want to be yours. I want to receive the kingdom of Jesus because you're there and living in the midst of it. It's a formula. But in no uncertain way or certain way is it said. It's, it's from the heart, which God has already given you, the first love that he is. He who loved us first. He wants you to love him in return. And think of it this way. As we see each other face to face, so we'll see Christ, the beatific vision. We'll see Jesus face to face. Spirit to spirit, heart to heart, body to body, new and glorified. Is that not what you want? That's what I desire. And hope and pray that'll be coming to pass sooner than later. Every day it should be on our minds. Do we, do we, will we see Jesus today? That should be on our minds. So I pray that's on yours. And I pray this message touched your heart in such a way that you would make Christ your Savior. Because there's no time like the present. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we believe in you. We trust in you, Father. Touch those that are listening that do not know you, God. Let your spirit reside in them and rest upon them, my God. Do wonderful and incredible things in their life. Show them you're real, Father God. Let them ask of you that you may show evidence. For the invisible things of God are clearly seen even by your Godhead and majesty. So let it be done, Father. Thank you for the exhortation of this word. Thank you, God, for the preaching of the cross. I pray, God, that you would just continue to work in our lives, continue to motivate us to be laborers and co-laborers for the Spirit, for the kingdom, God, that we would receive it soon, Father, that we would open our hands and that you present those holy keys to us, Father. So, Lord, we thank you for this message, for this delivery, for the mercy that you give that lives and breathes in your holy Bible. And we pray to live it out just the same, breathing in 
and breathing out your very essence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you and we bless you for hearing this homily and its exhortations today. For more information about Arthur Ryder and Matthew Pope's ministries or church involvement, you can visit his website, allthingsworktogether.org. You can also find Land of Ancient First on Instagram at Land of Ancient First. And find Matthew Pope on Facebook and Instagram at MatthewPope28 and follow the hashtag MatthewPope28. We pray God's grace and favor towards you. And until the next episode, peace be with you and with your spirit.